everybody mm, love that joint taking it back a little bit a groove among us the name of the song the producer dj spinner on the house list episode 60 a long time coming welcome all of y'all thank you for tuning in that song was my joint for a summer i lived in new york uh when i first moved to new york it was 1998 summer 98 and um that particular song that we kind of opened the show up with was, you know, low-key my anthem that particular summer. I was working at a record store, and I uh, lived in the city with a bunch of dudes in a big apartment on Broom Street. And uh, the living was easy. It was a different era. I was a young man, and I was exploring the city and getting into all types of stuff, and it was a good time. And that was kind of like my anthem. And... uh, Produced by none other than DJ Spinner. So, yes, here we are on the house list. Uh, where do I start? There's a lot to talk about here. A lot to cover. Um, it's the 60th episode, which I think is a milestone. Uh, every episode is, a, is an accomplishment. I'll tell you that. You already know, if you've been listening, if you've been tuning in, that uh, you know I've been doing this a little over a year now. I do it uh, for the love. So... Um, you know, I, I, I talk to people that I know or I've worked with in the past uh, or a combination of folks in the music industry, artists, and and uh, so on and so forth. Uh, Spina is a guy that I've known almost since the beginning of me starting kind of working in it or feeling like I was uh, working towards something. I think one of my first reviews I ever wrote for Herb Magazine um, was maybe in 1996, I think is when I uh, first published a review, uh, somewhere around that time. And I know I wrote a couple 12-inch reviews for the Jigmasters, his group, with the MC Criminal. And uh, we, I think I did, uh, yeah, a, a couple. I'd have to dig back in the stacks. But that's my first time, you know, writing about them. From that point in time... I somehow connected with Spinner and we started communicating like in the late 90s. And, you know, 
over the course of the next 20 years, like we've collaborated in a lot of different ways, uh, both with me writing stuff, but the first music video I think I ever really properly worked on and I co-directed with uh, my dear friend Wendy Morgan on the summer, August of 2001, was the Jigmasters Don't Get It Twisted with Sadat X, uh, shot in New York City, shot on 16mm color film um, on their seminal debut, Infectious. It was the first time on that shoot, that was the first time I ever met Sadat X. So some of you guys even know that obviously me and him did two full-length albums together. <clears throat> we toured uh, all over the U.S. and Europe together. And on the those two albums, Experience in Education and Black October, uh, the, the, the kickoff song, the first song on, on both records, produced by DJ Spinna, um, Experience in Education was uh, God is Back in Town, um, and Black October was the title track. And I was in the studio with, with the, both of those guys, incredibly talented, un unbelievably, uh, you know, masterful at what they do. So I was privileged to see them record both of those songs. And we talk about it in the conversation. Um, some of you guys know from my label, you know, it's essentially a defunct, semi-defunct female fund records. But the second record I ever did was DJ Spinna Compositions 2. So that was around the time of the uh, Don't Get It Twisted. It's maybe the year after that. I think around 2001, two around that time. And uh, we went on to do three uh, different composition, sort of instrumental EP compilations of, of, of DJ Spinners. All great. I would seek them all out if you can. They're on his band camp too. Digitally, you can find them on Spinna's Bandcamp, and I'm going to circle back to that too, because part of the reason why we got together to talk, even though I've been trying to link up with him for a while, we found a great reason to talk, which is um, the digital re-release, really for the first time ever, streaming and digital version of Infectious, the Jigmaster's you know, seminal debut, like I said, from 2001. So we talk a little bit about that. We talk, I try to talk about a lot of stuff with him. And the thing is, with Spinna, it's so funny. Uh, we have worked together in a lot of different ways. And, 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 and he's been uh, so generous and helping me along the way. And he's just an incredibly kind and generous person to anybody he's working with. Um, but yeah, okay. So the point I was actually trying to make there was that if you go to djspinna.bandcamp.com, you can get that infectious reissue now it's never been available digitally before so it's a great way to peep that out there's some bonus joints on that so he was prepping that uh while we uh in the midst of doing this interview i guess if you will conversation so by the time i post this thing that's going to go live now um, i would go back to that thing anyway the Bandcamp page because you can also find uh some great compilations of unreleased beats of his some other projects in fact uh, if you can believe it, A Groove Among Us, the thing I opened up with, which was on this uh, raucous kind of solo debut, if you will, Heavy Beats, um, is also available there. I actually bought it and downloaded it because I didn't have a file of it. I just had the wax. Um, so that's how I used it for this intro. 
So anyway, all right. So yes, the Houseless Podcast. My name is Peter Agustin. If this is your very first time listening, first I want to say thank you. I appreciate it big time. Uh, please subscribe or leave a comment if you're on iTunes or uh, or if you're on SoundCloud. You know the the podcast is available a few different ways. So if if, if this is your first time listening. Especially if you listen on SoundCloud, this is something I try to encourage everybody to do because I'm really, you know, at this stage, it's really a word of mouth type of thing. So if you got a SoundCloud account, feel free to just repost this, just like hit that repost. It's the houseless podcast on SoundCloud. So, or if you're just on Facebook or you've got a message board or, or, or something like that, just copy and paste the link, boom, put it up there. That helps spread the word a little bit to folks that aren't hip to this at all, but are fans of Spinners. Um, and that's the thing with me. I, I think that was the point I'm, I was trying to make earlier, is that um, even though we work together in a lot of different ways, shows and releases and music videos and, and so on and so forth, I remain a huge fan of his work. And so in this conversation, I mean... After I was done, I was like, oh, man, I wanted to ask him about this song and this song and this song. Uh, but I could have sat there like all afternoon just like being like, remember when you made this song? Remember when you made this song? And uh, <laughs> I don't know if that would have made for a very compelling kind of conversation. So in our talk, you know, I try to cover a lot of bases. So I, I think it's good. I would love to maybe one day down the line try to do another one where we focus on maybe a, a different part of his career because the guy has, you know, been productive and moving in multiple genres simultaneously, you know, bouncing from hip hop to house, soul and funk, all, you know, kind of at the same time or intermittently over the years, as well as just being an absolutely incredible DJ. So a lot can be said for that and, and it can in a conversation you go many ways but we got some good stuff we did it in his home studio which is amazing um and it just brought me back to my early days of going to the thingamajig lab the the original beyond real jig masters studio and where so many of those great records and uh, especially those 90s hip-hop productions all took place uh, you know his bbe record too and and all that stuff. So tons of memories. You know, I've got to see him work in the studio quite a bit over the years. So uh, that's just been a true treat. Um, let's see what else. I did want to say a couple of things too, as we move forward towards this conversation. I want to send a shout out to this dude DJ Hussa, who is in Alberta, Canada, who um, I know has been listening. Great supporter of the show. Uh, kind of, you know out uh in the cut and he's been like uh pushing the show reposting it and stuff a lot and uh giving us some good feedback so i just want to give him a shout out i've been seeing a lot of new people in different kinds of places in the country and uh overseas checking it out of course to top the list every almost every episode i post brooklyn new york uh ranks top with uh the listen. So any of my people in Brooklyn, and I have a, I have a strong sense that this uh, particular episode will garner a lot of people listening uh, in the Brooklyn zone, uh, being a native son of Brooklyn himself, DJ Spinner. So, yes. So, yeah. 
Also, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, there's some great companion episodes, I would say, if you feel like going back. So I did Sean J. Period, another great um, producer of that particular era that we kind of, me and Spinner kind of cover in, in the first half of our conversation. That's episode 17. If you haven't listened to that one before, it's a great one too. My man, Geology, who I've done a bunch of stuff with both of them together. That's episode uh, 18. Dame Funk, episode 22. If you just got that Serato record, we did a collaboration with Serato, Spinna, Dame Funk, and myself. Um, that's called Fresh Air Control uh, Vinyl uh, for Serato. So anyway, I'm going to stop talking uh, and let you guys enjoy this conversation. Episode 60 of the Houseless Podcast with me, Peter Gossin. Every episode is edited and engineered by CJ Stewart. Shouts to him. Thanks again for tuning in. I'll catch you guys on the outro. Don't forget, Infectious is now available. DJSpinna.bandcamp.com. Look for the Jigmasters Bandcamp as well. You can find it. And uh, let's get into this conversation with the one and only DJ Spinner on the house list. Oh, <laughs> uh, but, and you know, this is, well, I mean, to find a place to even start in a conversation with you, too, is... is um, like there's for me personally there's like a million reference points um because now in this year it's like i've known you for like over 20 years at this point in time um is it over 20 years well to my knowledge if i'm not mistaken i wrote a review for um either sean don or 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 actually beyond real the 12 inch in herb magazine i think it was the first and you obviously know when those records came out 96 yeah so i think that we started communicating um shortly uh, like around that time because you basically when you were putting those records out i mean you you ran the record label for the most part yeah yeah me and krim yeah so beyond real beyond real was me krim rest in peace to g-man Yes, and, and my boy uh, Dwight Willisy, who I went to college with, and once he graduated, he went on to work at East West Records and then Capital. Oh wow! And now he's at Atlantic. So we just pulled in his resources and G Man's resources. G Man uh, was at the time he was at he was working or had just finished working with uh, uh, the Roots and Geffen. Geffen Records. Really? So yeah. I didn't know G-Man was uh, what an A and R or something. He or? was in promotion. Him and uh, uh, and uh, my man Colin uh-huh. was there, and he um, left the company. And you know, we we were a collective of of heads that basically use all of our abilities and you know access to you know something as simple as mass mailing like right. stamps and stuff right. like that whatever like the promo list for college and right whatever whatever it took to to get the records you know optimal promotion how did you meet those guys okay so was it from gigs I, oh wait so yeah so dwight, college too, yeah right? so dwight willis and i we went to college together and I, I actually used to do all of his uh he's part of the phi beta sigma fraternity and i did all his parties so you went to college in binghamton new york right? binghamton yeah nice. upstate new york right um, so that's really where it started, kind of, right? Yeah, yeah. As far as getting a grasp of like record labels, yeah, pretty stuff. much. I mean, you know, I did um, I did college radio, mm-hmm. and for four years, and wow. um, I was and and parties, pretty right. much like every weekend or every other weekend. So the parties up there, were what like house parties, frat parties? It was it was primarily frat parties, right. and 
and sorority parties, you know, fr- fraternity sorority right. parties, and um, occasional club, because there was a it was a small club off campus, in town, well. yeah, in the town. So right. it was called Scandal. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. Yeah, and a yeah. lot of after parties for shows and stuff like that. Um, Were you spinner then? I was spinner then. Yes. Dope. Yeah, I was. Um, so going back to Dwight. Um, he already knew that obviously I was a DJ and you know Jigmasters while I was in school um, we were recording a lot of demos and shopping to labels and getting rejected and he was aware of all of that so once he left college graduated and started working for the labels um, and then I left like a year later and started to like you know, still trying to get a deal. He actually was one of the people responsible for us getting a demo deal at East West. Oh wow! Okay. So we had, so we almost got signed, Jigmasters. And back then, it was three of us. It was a three-man crew. It was me, Krim, and Ammo. Um, Ammo left. Uh, Are there songs that must exist with him? Yeah, on, actually, right? yeah, there is. Um, the first, the actual first recording, Jigmasters recording. Um, was a song called Execution that was featured on the Bomb uh, oh, yes. Hip Hop magazine. Right. Dave Paul, right? If yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And Which is, in, not to interrupt you, that's pretty interesting because there weren't a lot of New York artists, if maybe any, on that. It was like very, very West few. Coast. Yeah, I remember Peanut Butter Wolf and right. Charisma had a track on there. Right. They're probably the only group that I can recall that actually made, you know, well, Peanut Butter Wolf anyway. Right. Um, Ended up doing Stones Throw Records, right, and, right. you know, and I have a little bit of history with him as well. But uh, that bomb hip hop compilation happened shortly after I I graduated, and then mm-hmm. the second Jigmasters record we appeared on uh, this compilation for Freeze Records. Oh, interesting. So what was that? What was that song? Um. You know, I don't remember. Yeah, that was a while ago. It was a so. while ago. I think it was called. It might have been called um, "Step Off." I got. I got to check check my records. Um, so we had a little bit of, you know, traction right. while trying to get a deal, and after the East West situation, basically what happened with that was East West and Electra Records merged. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they fired a lot of people, right. and the people who got swiped up in that me- melee were handling our project. Yeah, so that's a classic industry yeah, story, right? Yeah, so we got, you know, dropped. And this was a time when, what, East West had, like, Das Effects. Right. They had uh, Adolf the Assassin, who mm-hmm. was now Aguilar Bishop. Right. Um, who else? Lin Q, maybe? Lin Q, Champ MC. Right. Um, uh, Supernatural had a single yeah. out at the time. Does this explain the Daz FX Spinner remix? Remix, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. That was a result of that. So, hmm. long story short, right. you know, frustrations, years. I mean, we shopped to everybody. We almost had to deal with Profile Records. Hmm. You know, the, uh, Delicious Vinyl was interested in us at one point. Um, you know, we shopped to Rowdy Records. Wow. I mean, so many labels. And you know, everything happens when it's supposed to happen. Even with that major label situation not really panning out for us, going independent was the way. Mm-hmm. It was the it was the new wave to ride at the time. So yeah, I mean that was the yeah the birth of that the twelve inch kind of era of records too. Yep, 
So um, we decided, hey, let's just go independent, press mm-hmm. up some records and, and see where that goes. And the rest is history as far as Jigmasters go. And then um, I had some success with a, with a big DJ record. Mm-hmm. The Everybody Bounce Rude Rhythms Experiment. So the one thing I never really explained about the name Rude Rhythms, Rude Rhythms was the name of the DJ crew that I was part of in college. So okay. it was me, my man, uh, Daddy Culture, a.k.a. Nkanza, who handled the reggae, mm-hmm. and my man, DJ Arch, who uh, we all went to college together. We were right. all in school together, and we pulled together and became this DJ unit. Were these guys like city guys or did you or did you just meet in school? Yeah, we met in school, cool. but as it turned out, we, we all were from Brooklyn right. and, you know, had a lot of mutual friends right. uh, that we, you know, would find out later that, sure. you know, we're, we're all connected in some way. So, so you're born, obviously you're born and raised here in Brooklyn, yeah? Yeah, yeah born and raised in Brooklyn. Do you have um, siblings too? You have a couple of siblings, yeah? Yes, I have now... Uh, whew. from my mom, my sister, and my um deceased brother, and outside of my mom, three other brothers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you actually know one of them. I know Vaughn very <laughs> Vaughn, well. Yeah, yeah. That's yep. uh my people on the stairs connection. Exactly. Every time people on the stairs come to New York City for as long as they've been coming, it's you know Fest Double K, myself, Vaughn, and like a couple other dudes will all. Go out after the show and hang out. We'll, we'll, they'll, we'll actually all, you know, see each other before, at, and after the show. Like, right. That's my dude. I love that guy. He's, he's a really, he's a kind, cool dude. Yeah. Was also in the Don't Get It Twisted music video. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. See, that's the thing too with you. It's like, there's not only are there so many releases too with first of that era. There's a lot of chapters to your career as like as DJ Spinner. You know, there's, there's even this college era which a lot of people don't really know about because it's just pre a lot of it's pre-recorded stuff for you yeah um but uh the whole beyond real mid 90s before infectious like there's like a a stack i mean you guys were you know a very prolific label or a group of guys releasing music of that time when there was a lot of other labels it's like the the you know the era of the indie underground record label too. Yes, yes. We had Making Records. Yes. Which was the yeah. home home of uh legendary Jean Grey yeah. at the time. Pumpkinhead. Pumpkinhead, rest in peace to Pumpkinhead. There was uh Guess Wild Records, yep, of course. Guess Wild Records, there was Hydra Records. You right. know, they operated a little bit more on a on a you know, bigger budgets or whatever, right. but they you know, they existed. Um then you had, you know, the whole Co Flow right. crew. Uh what was the name of their label? I think it was called Official Records. Yes, Official with the, uh, You know, the first few. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yep, Official Records. Yep. And, you know, Bob's thing, Fondalum. Yep, Fondalum. The raucous yep. era, too, which was like, you know, the kind of powerhouse muscle in New York. We had Rosh, Rorschach, Rorschach. Comp- Complex, and J-Live. Wow, man, it was... It's crazy when I think about that time. It's, I almost feel like it's... Well, it is underappreciated, but it almost feels like it didn't exist <laughs> because <laughs> that era, I mean, not too many people survived it and are relevant True. today. Right. And there were hundreds, man, mm-hmm. hundreds of releases. And oh, yeah, like, it was crazy. 
it was i mean you know what's interesting too is that you produced stuff on most of those labels too you or were, yeah most or worked with right you know natural elements like i worked with right. a lot of those people yeah and that of that era too yeah i mean you were a go-to producer um in a way or would you say that or was it like more just of the community too is there was i would know, say both i would right. say i definitely had a wave that i was writing between say like 96 and 98 99 right. when i was really super relevant in the hip-hop production world and you could walk into fat beats and see like tons of records produced by myself yeah. on the wall or whatever you know i was i was living it up how were you managing your time back then i mean you must i was have been making i was an animal i was an animal like right. i my my schedule was literally like get up at like six, seven in the morning. I'm more of a morning guy creatively mm -hmm. and just bang it out all wow. day, you know. And my crib was the studio and it was it was a constant rotation of people in and out of there. And right. It was hard for me to have a personal life. <laughs> and well, I think yeah. that's and that's where things started to slow down when I did, you know, try to have somewhat of a, a life. <laughs> yeah, but I mean you'll I mean I, I you know still peep everything that you're doing now. You're doesn't seem like you're any less busy now than you were then, you know, in a way. I'm, you, I'm definitely not less busy, I'm more, but I'm more spread out. It's right. not as condensed in hip-hop world, per right. se. You know, back then, right, it right. was like straight up, straight up. For four or five years straight, I was going hard on the beats. Yeah. And it was primarily rap. Yeah, it was. It was, yeah. I mean, even beyond just working with all the other the people of that era and you know i i worked at sandbox of course you remember sandbox yes. right so when I, I first moved to new york in 98 and i worked um at sandbox for a short period of time and um that was that time when people were selling fifty thousand copies of a 12 inch you know or more or whatever i mean i don't know what j lives bragging rights did that was like a record breaker i think yeah back then. that did a lot that made that that sold a lot of units but even like complex like visualize you know that was i remember that was a big one too and I'm sure the Beyond Real stuff were, you know, yeah, you we were did pumping really, them out. We did really well. You know, yeah. I think I think Beyond Real first single, I think we did move about 10,000 10, yep. copies of that record. Um, you know, and that's part of the reason, you know, the decline of sales is part of the reason why, you know, years later I kind of, I mean, it was the end of an era, really. Right. Raucous kind of capped it. Right. And it almost feels like when Raucous fell apart I mean, that whole scene fell apart <laughs> in a way right, right. you know because we just had so many outlets we had radio that supported the scene we yeah. had um, you know shows and showcases right. you know unsigned hype right we had a lot we had of print media the lyricist lounge I mean right. there was so much going on um, oh, Jigmaster's got unsigned hype from the source right? actually we did yeah we got unsigned hype with the biggie with one of the biggie issues wow yep he's on the cover that's, that's a that. lot that's of Brooklyn um, exposure right there. Yeah, and, and we and we got a lot of love. And this was when we were we didn't even cut a record yet. It was oh, wow. it was unsigned hype, obviously, and we you know got you know reviewed off of a demo tape. Um, and I want to say it might have been might have even been the demo that we produced during the the East West demo deal situation. Interesting. Or right before that. So we're when you were. Did you have like an album in mind during that time? Because it wouldn't be for another like five or six years till an album actually kind of surfaced, right? Well, let's not really. I mean, we we had been going into the studio since ninety one. You know, wow, literally ninety ninety one. We started in my bedroom, 
producing on an eight track cassette, mm-hmm. um, Tascam recorder, producing demos, and then you know funding our our, our sessions ourselves. You know, in actual professional recording studios, and we always we every era of hip hop from like ninety ninety one up until the time we put records out, we followed musically the the sonics the sonics of what was happening of mm-hmm. the time so if you listen to our batch of music from 91 right. it sounds like 91 if you listen to 92 93 it sounds like that if you listen to 94 95 it sounds like that <laughs> and then 96 was like that you know it was the streets it was the streets of new york it was dark it was grimy right. it was gritty it was hard but i would know, say and I musical mean, too but you like clearly i think you developed by that time by maybe 96 97 you had already like developed like a very distinct sound style production wise you know? yes i would definitely say that and, and you I, couldn't compare to other like i wouldn't be able to compare them to other kind of new york producers or just production of hip-hop on a whole at that time yeah i think my sound definitely stood out and i think that's what lent itself to the whole beyond real right aesthetic yeah yeah you know what i'm saying like it was the sound was out of this world so to speak exactly yeah <laughs> you know so it was these like was it this was it the samples or is it just the arrangement? Like it, it's it, all of it. Yeah, yeah it's, it's hard to kind of describe because it's just sort of there's a lot of atmospheric stuff. Yeah. You're, you're, I think you are probably playing a lot of key lines on it too, or on bass top lines. of samples. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, my choice of samples were definitely keyboard heavy and right. synthesizer heavy. Right. Um, along and then sprinkling it with funk. You right. know, you know, little bits of James Brown, right. cooling the gang here and there, right, horns, right. whatever. You know, sound bites. Yeah. Eddie Bow, like wherever I could, you know, just balancing it out between yeah. hard beats, a little bit of uh, atmospheric, cosmic sounds that you may not know where the reference point is from, really. Yeah. Because um, a lot of people used to tell me back then, like, they couldn't tell if I was sampling or playing. Mm. And it was really, a lot of times it was no samples. I mean, I'm sorry, no, no live instrumentation. Right, it right. was just choice of samples. Like, the stuff right. that I chose to sample, you would think that you know, I'm playing all the all the instruments. Were you like, um, how informed do you think was that stuff with whatever, you know, you would end up doing with like the house? Were you doing house records at the same time? No, I, I wasn't. Really? No, not wow. at all. No, I didn't really start taking house music seriously on production on the production side until like 98, 99. Okay. You know, especially after days the days like this Sean Escoffy record blew right. up. Yeah. That's when I was like, okay, I feel comfortable with this. But um, you know, and I always every time I do interviews I kinda express this this train of thought. I'm a DJ first. Right. And as a DJ, I've always been into it. Like I've listened to it you know, I went to the house clubs back in the back in like the late eighties, early nineties. Really? Yeah. So I was always part of the scene and part of the music and stay, paying attention to what was happening. I just never took it seriously, seriously from the production side. Now, one thing that did happen that no one really knows is um, around the time that I produced the Everybody Bounce record, the right. Rhythms Experiment, twelve inch for Freeze Records, I did a house record. But it was sample base. Okay. And the label did not want to put it out because the stuff that I was using, you know, it would have been crazy. It would have been turned into like crazy, you know, lawsuits or just trying to, artists and labels trying to come after them to get money or whatever. 
Well, um, do you remember what you sampled? Well, one of them was uh, one of the samples I used was a Georgia Marota record, uh-huh. uh, the Chase, right, right. chopped up, dope, um, and that probably was the main thing that was like okay, <laughs> right. red flag, can't put it. But what happened was they ended up pressing up two test. There was two test presses, okay, which I have. Wow, <laughs> dope. And, and you know, never played it out. They just like tucked away wow. in the collection. So, dope. so this is what ninety two. This is no, this no, not that early. It was ninety ninety six. Oh, interesting. Yeah, ninety six. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I've always wondered that too because you seem. I think as the years went by too, you kind of eventually by 99 or 2000 or whatever, depending on the releases, you know, you kind of existed in two totally different genres, you know, after a while. There was like, it's not necessarily like a split, but there was like, like when you did the Night Grooves, um, the, what's the, I know I remember. Mindset. Deep Rooted. Deep Rooted. Right. Oh, that 12. Yeah, that's single. 12 inch, which was a, a same period of time when, when Infectious was kind of coming, coming out, out and yeah. Beyond Real Experience, the you first paid one. attention. Yo, I'm, I'm a impressed. fan first. I'm one of my, you should, you should, I have almost, I got a lot of your records, you right. know, and I've been a fan first and foremost between whatever work we've done together. Uh, I've always been super into your production and, and intrigued that you're able to do fast stuff and slow stuff. You know, I mean, you, you can call it whatever genre you want to call it, Deep House or Soulful House or Hip Hop, right. but tempos like you range the whole spectrum of tempos right. and stuff for drum programming or whatever right but i remember buying the deep rooted 12 inch when it came out and being like wow this is cool i my ear was yet to be totally tuned into house related stuff i was such a hip-hop right purist in a way but i was like well this is spinna and i like the jig masters and i like his kind of spacey sound thing he's doing and then i think i got I started learning more about house music through this your kind of hip hop sensibility to house, you know, at, during that time. And you know, I grew up in Virginia. There wasn't a house. There weren't. There wasn't a record. There was like a small record chain, but there was no scene for dance music whatsoever. Right. Besides what you saw on TV or at the college radio station, like 808 State is probably my like uh, connection yeah, to that, which was a great record. Yes. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, yeah. So. I guess I think like especially for maybe some of your diehard fans from back then too there's there's this like period of time in the late 90s too where you were all this like super prolific hip hop stuff was coming out like uh on album form especially with Beyond Real it was like the the era of like really solidifying that label in a way so there's that Beyond Real experience the compilation the first one which is incredible incredible production on it thanks and Geology did the artwork, which is beautiful, like, cover, too. Yeah. It's a Japanese release, sort of, I think. Yeah, it was. Yeah, Mary Joy Records. Right. Yeah. That was another classic label of that time, too, Yeah, for hip-hop. Um, and then there was Heavy Beats well, on Rockus. Right? yep. And Infectious kind of followed those records, I think, right? Yeah, and also Polyrhythmatics. Yeah, the nervous one, the yeah. first one, the debut, right? Yeah, the debut. Was what, 2000? Like, no, that was like 99. Wow. Yep. That's a trip. That's like a lot of full links right then. Yeah. Um, I remember one, another kind of, you know, important kind of benchmark for me in your career is when I, when I moved to New York is when I got the sampler and I was working at Sandbox or whatever. I lived on Broom Street and I, um, got this sampler that had a groove among us on it 
um, right. your song, the yeah. instrumental. Mm -hmm. And that shit totally blew my mind. Like in that summer, I listened to that song like constantly on repeat, you know, because wow. that was for me too. My frame of reference for Deep House and how and up tempo music was still very small. I wasn't educated. So, um, and that's okay. You know, I, I was all of 17 years old too. But that was like, it embodied that kind of, it like sort of would like embody like what the Jungle Brothers were doing, like on Done by the Forces of Nature. Yep. You know, there were some instrumental passages. Yes, on that shit. yes. But I don't know. So I know I'm riffing kind of long on it. Nah, but, you but know I'm I saying? get it. Like, I get your 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 perspective on my on my career, and I understand it. And um, I'd like to think that I have people that follow me on this on the same journey. You know? Right. Because I know I, I I'm pretty sure I threw people for like, <laughs> a curve. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, right. You know, to to have having done all these crazy hip hop records, and then all of a sudden I'm doing this other style right, too. You know, right, right. right. But my whole thing about production is, um, you know, I'm, I, I look at it from a I, I approach production from a DJ a DJ's perspective, right? right? And um, you know, truth be told, like I've been going into studio since 1985. Wow, and really trying to figure find my way since then. Did you have family, any friends or family that way that back that were in and access? Or? Um, well, my my old best friend that I that I grew up with, he and I were sort of a team in the eighties, and we produced like he rhymed. He also made beats. He was a beast, and I was a digger, a young digger, and making beats as well and we we have that's a whole nother side like interesting you know and then i had hip a hip-hop group with him and my other man my other homeboy um that i grew up with on the on the same block in crown heights we were a three-man crew what was that called they we were called the top choice three okay yeah right and then Getting name of the era you know yeah pretty <laughs> 85 86 sure, you know sure. and so it stems from way back then, you know. We talking like SP twelve days, not even SP twelve hundred right. days. Like when we were limited with sample time, and the first drum machine I ever touched was the Oberheim DMX. Wow! Yes, right. Amazing. So that's the drum machine that Sucker MCs was produced with. Right. So I have a long history of finding my way and trying to figure out where I fit in. So self taught. Self taught, just paying attention to engineers and records and producers. Mm -hmm. Of the of the day, and um, you know, I had a few experiences with, you know, like I had one. There was one record that I co-mixed with my old partner, um, and basically he got out the game. He he became a born again and didn't want to have anything to do with secular music anymore. Sure. So he gave me a lot of his records and moved on. So Top Choice Three evolved into first class. Uh -huh. So my other my my other homeboy, uh, boss who I grew up with, it was me and him left. So we had first class and then we both went away to school and Jigmasters formed as a result of that. But boss was in he was in Jigmasters first. Jigmasters originally started out as a four man crew. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, it was right. me, boss, um, Krim and Krim's uncle Ammo. So the in the uh unsigned hype is me, Krim and Ammo. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, Boss he exited the group in, at, around like 92. So I had all these different yeah. 
you know, um, incarnations of being part of groups and Jigmasters right, is right. the longest, the longest running. And Krim's been in it the whole time. Right? He's been, he's been, well, he's, he was always messing around rapping in the right. 80s, but he started to take it real seriously in the 90s. And he approached me and was like, yo, I want to start this group. And, you know, let's try to make some, some money and some music and, you know, pursue it like professionally, like for real, right. you know. Um, for his side, but actually, I was already doing that. <laughs> like I was, uh, yeah. I was trying to get deals since '85, <laughs> so I was already, I was already, you know, in the trenches. So when you were at that time, where were you going in New York to buy records? Like, if you're really, when you're young, then you have a lot of time and a lot of concentration to really spend a lot of time digging. I mean, you've been doing it for years, obviously. In the room that we're sitting in is is steeped in vinyl, but. What what was New York like then for for digging for records like? Well, in the eighties, um, we had downstairs records in Manhattan. Right. We had Music Factory on Forty Second Street, mm-hmm. and we had our relatives, yes, <laughs> yes and, the family's and, and girlfriends, right. parents. Right, you know right. what I'm saying? Like just going to people's houses and scoping out their records and yeah. seeing if you had a if you had a copy of a record with a break on it going through their collections to see how you can double it up. You know, mm-hmm. it's whatever, it's by any means necessary. Yeah. And then as far as new music goes, we had like, I mean, in Brooklyn anyway, we had like uh, Jackpot Records downtown Brooklyn. We had Beat Street. Yes. Which was amazing. I remember when they were just a hole in the wall and it became this like super me- mega store. Yeah, it was huge. When you it know, closed, it was still, it was the it giant was really place. big, yeah. yeah. Um, we had Bondies in the city. We had JNR Music World in the city. I mean, these are places that I used to go to right. quite often. Um, then there was a there was another store um, on Fulton Street in Bed Stuy, like near Franklin Avenue, that a lot of people like Biz and Large Professor used to go to for breaks mm-hmm. and like Rare Soul. Shout out to my man Rashad Smith. He actually used to work there and was responsible oh, wow. for selling a lot of people. Tumbling like, dice, right? Tumbling dice, yeah. And he, you know, he he discovered and you know made popular a lot of what are now considered classic breaks, right? You know, sold a lot of records to um, a lot of producers and stuff. So I went there. That's when I got my first S O U L L P. You know, that was the first expensive record I ever bought. Right. <laughs> You've had this ability, um, and I know this because I've watched your career really closely, and I collect all your stuff. But we've also put records out together and done videos and stuff like that is that you were able to sort of survive like the early mid 2000s which was a tough time for a lot of people dropped off during that period of time yeah it was a it was a rough time for hip-hop yeah Um, it really was and it's even rougher now if you're from that era yeah it's been about i think it's funny like after in a way it's like after 9-11 like it just became about survival for a lot of artists too maybe that just that period of time into the 2000s you know creatively it's been hard to to uh you know the trends have ebbed and flowed so much so but i think you know maybe some of the hip-hop collectors of your music too have slept on some of those releases but I, i went back i always kind of revisit them occasionally over the years but these two records are great companions and I listened to the second one this morning but obviously here to there on BBE and um, it's kind of pseudo follow up uh, Intergalactic Soul Intergalactic yes. Soul yes Galactic yeah. Soul yeah. yes yes 
those two, they're di- different in a way. I mean, there's a few years in between the two of them. But that, like, I feel like that period of time, you're able to, like, sort of pr- show or, you know, inadvertently prove yourself as, like, uh, that you can produce, like, R&B, like, real full R&B music, like, um, dance music. Uh, I don't know. They're just great records that now are also kind of of a different era, too, you know? Right. Um, I love to talk about those and making of those, like, uh, well, you know, where you were at with, well, the first know. thing is <clears throat> I've always wanted to be a producer period, not just right. a hip hop producer. Sure. It's just, it just so happened that, you know, the, the independent hip hop movement was easy to fall in and convenient right. for me because of what was happening with me and the group at the time, you know, it was like, okay, perfect. We don't have a label deal. Let's put out a record. Right. And it just kept growing and I started getting all this work and my sound was unique and everybody, you know, at the time was like, spin a beat, spin a beat, blah, 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 blah. Early, enter early 2000s um, when, well, first of all, the Infectious album was a disappointment for me, not in terms of the product, but in terms mm-hmm. of the, re- on the retail side. Right, Because right. Land Speed. I brought a copy of it too. Oh, dope. Sealed. I still have, Amazing. All, I have a sealed copy of it. <laughs> dope, dope. To go back to it. But yeah, I understand. I mean, like, you know, so disappointment as far as sales, essentially. Yeah, I feel like it didn't do what it was supposed to do. Right. And, you know, Lansby went through a crazy thing with the government. And, you know, from, from what I always heard, there's like stock that ended up getting seized with the rest of it, you know, oh, geez, really? you know, catalog or whatever. And, it kind of became this, you know, this record that it's a, it had a cult following, and if you knew about it, you knew about it, right? You know, and then with what was happening at, with hip hop at the time, you know, you really needed to be linked in with. It was clicky. That's, I'll just be I'll just be real for sure. It was clicky, and absolutely, if you weren't part of certain scenes and certain movements that was happening at the time, you would just kind of kick to the curb and mm-hmm. not, you didn't really get noticed as much so I always felt like this record could have been a lot bigger should have been bigger um, but enter BBE so BBE right. um, big fan that that label they really love just all around good music across the board sure. known known initially for putting out compilations and then they right. decided to start the Beat Generation series oh right yeah before it was like Stranger uh, like the Strange like, Games and Things right, right. and you know a lot of jazz comps you know they basically got like all the tastemakers um, like the Giles Petersons right. and the Patrick Forges you know uh, people that pushed the envelope musically mm-hmm. to compile music compile make these compilations with you know obscure records and records that basically like paved the way for certain scenes certain genres or whatever so they decided to come up with this series they came up with the series called uh, Beat Generation where they had producers that you know they admire produce albums um, outside of what they're expected to produce mm-hmm. musically. Mm-hmm. So they had, um, initially it was just, uh, the first one I think was, I think it was Pete Rock. Right. Then Dilla. Mm-hmm. Um, I think King Brit and then myself. Right. And then they went on to do, um, there was a Will I Am one. Yeah, Jazzy Jeff. Jazzy Jeff. Um, but, you know, I, I was able to really give people 
a bigger scope into my musical palette with, right, that, with right. that record. So I gave them a little bit of hip hop, a little bit of, I guess, quote unquote, neo soul, mm-hmm. and some house, you know, right. and, and a broken a new jazz broken beat because I was going yes, to the was... U- I was going to the UK a lot. Right, and Broken Beat was on fire was at that on point. Fire, time. yeah. I lo- and those records, I they're great records. Yeah, you, know? you go back and listen to them now; they're like pieces of art. Exactly, I think so too. You like know? Mad Libs, that DJ Rel's, Rel's record, yeah, like, incredible, really, yeah. incredible. So that that was the beginning. And then the Galactic Soul album was really just a continuation, right, of that, right. Because um, if you look like, yeah, I mean, Infectious had a certain like kind of sonic quality as a producer. Um, and then here to there, I think is a, is one more step up, like as far as where you were going with just the, I don't know, like the, the kind of finer, the nuances of like, you know, per, of production. It wasn't like, it wasn't gritty, but it wasn't like flat or, you know, yeah, pandering. It was in the middle. I know? think it was in the middle. You know, I, I, one thing I've been blessed with, um, is the opportunity to work with incredible musicians right. to help me further embellish like my thoughts and my ideas right. you know so I was working heavily with Tickler Victor Axelrod oh, that's right yeah. around, between Jigmasters and Head to there mm-hmm. um, my boy Salon you know um, Angela Angela Johnson right you know and other people you know like we Eric Krasno from from uh, Soul Live yep um, rest in peace to Ronnie Jordan he was actually oh, on, wow. on one of the Sean Scoffey records and he's on the yep. Oversoul 7 record you know, right. surely, and of course that you have the famous Blue Note, yeah, remix, yep. joint, so, and I, yeah, and I co-produced some stuff on his one of his albums, oh, the Friday Day album. Oh, you know, cool. we actually went to uh, Boston uh, Bear Mountain Studio, and really? we were locked up for a few days, and oh, dope. you know, we we produced the record, you know, a couple of joints on that record I was involved with, right, right. So, you know, that was me really cutting my teeth to real production as opposed right. to like bringing in musicians and actually dictating wh- how the session is going to move and what kind of direction from for songs and songwriting did you feel comfortable in that environment being able oh, to yeah, kind of compose I mean, that's always more... been my dream like right. oh that's something I, i've always wanted to do you right. know what i'm saying and even on the house side like it's just part of who i am and i'm glad that i did it because at the time that i did it because as we were saying earlier, you know, hip hop during that time, you know, it was the Jiggy era. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So if you didn't want to be necessarily part of the Jiggy era, you had to do something to stay afloat. Right. Underground hip hop really wasn't cutting it. If you didn't get to a certain level by a certain point, right, right. You were out the game. Right. And I think a lot of those a lot of underground hip hop of that time was like really rebelling against the Jiggy era and yeah. it wasn't necessarily making it was there wasn't a great music wasn't a result of that. It was a lot of like kind of just bros that were like pissed about like, you know, that you know, music vid- Puffy had a music yeah, video. Yeah, certain artists really yeah. blowing up and like the, it was the get money, the floss, right. yada yada yada. But I'll speak for myself. Of course. Yeah, I'll speak for myself and Jigs and Krim. Like, although we came up through the underground independent scene, we thrived in it for a minute, but that was never our ultimate goal. Like, we mm-hmm. always wanted to have a deal, like a straight-up right. record deal, and we recognized for making dope-ass hip-hop records. Right. 
like bigger. You yeah. know what I'm saying? It just so happened that, you know, we were grinding and we were part of this underground movement and that got flooded. Yeah. Big time. It got flooded. You know, Not too different from maybe when disco became a little saturated. Commercial, yeah. It got cheesy. Same right. thing happened with the underground hip hop scene. Sure. Big time. And it, it really affected retail because at the time we were selling a lot of records, me, Plex, J Live, mm-hmm. you know, all the cold flow dudes, like, there weren't a lot of records out. There weren't a whole like you remember you know, Fat Beats was a Fat Beats was a little store and then Barbito had his right. shop footwork. Like these were little shops and then they expanded. And along with that expansion, um also came the um advent of like technology and right. like people home studios and people not having to spend money big money to pay for studio time. Like everybody right. had a setup in their right, crib right. and making records and it just got flooded and then retail suffered as a result of that mm-hmm. because the quality went down. Yeah, oh yeah. Um I mean even if you look at the year, I know we were kind of discussed this like uh before recording it too, but with Infectious coming out in 2001, if you look at the other hip hop albums of that era that came out in that year, it's like a big divide where it's like a lot of like the golden era classic um artists, they're on their fourth album, you know, fifth album and the music is starting to feel compromised um and the underground is like also in this same thing and not to like kind of keep going back on that it's just it's i think it's interesting for a producer like you who's still very active um you know navigated kind of through this the sort of treacherous waters of that era some people maybe in the moment slept on some of that material but a lot of it is totally worth revisiting like you have a sense of kind of i think a lot of it is the production um approach that because it's sort of future thinking of that era too right. that it's people are kind of can still kind of catch up to that sound currently you right know? i mean like, you know we we always wanted to i i always wanted to make timeless music right, right. of course you right. know obviously some records will have more of an underground sound but that was the mode of the day right. as well you know if you if you listen to like if you go back and listen to certain records that even like a premiere made right. you know back in the the uh like J Ru era the the uh group home era yeah. gangstar you know third and fourth albums um that was the mode very true that was the mode and it just changed. Right. <laughs> the mode changed at right. some point. Yeah, you know, it became came something totally different. Right. So, and that's even happening like right now with like trap and yep. just like with young contemporary yeah, music. Yeah, we're in a different mode right now. Right, right. We're in a different mode. So it's like if you don't want to be part of that mode, what do you do to stay relevant? Right. And and you know that defines who you are without compromising who you are. How do you do it? Right. Sometimes I don't even know the answer that answer to that for myself, but. I just, I guess, I just stay afloat by making music that I still love. Well, I think myself. I think a producer that's also like a really great DJ can always toggle back and forth between that through their whole career. Like, you're, I mean, we're talking about records that you made, but you know, now I feel like in the last few years, you know, your DJ career is like has this big arc going on now because you're traveling constantly. Yeah, right? I'm always on the road. And you're always you know back and forth overseas and stuff like that. 
but there's a reason why because people want to book you because you're good at what you do and stuff you know like that's uh that says a lot and i think nowadays too because music is so free for everyone in a way buying physical stuff is more of like a collector's kind of game that you know shows are everything so gigs are have more seem to have more value than they did you know 20 years ago in a way i don't know i could be wrong no there, i think but... you're right and i and i and i and i was told as things started to turn around with the dot com boom you know in the in the late 90s early 2000s when you had all these startup yeah. companies and websites and then that bubble busted you know i was told even back then that the only way a lot of people artists are going to be able to survive is by being unique standing out and doing great shows great it's going back to great performances right. and being an exceptional artist you know it, there's no room for mediocrity anymore like the, the, you won't you won't you can't make it you just right. won't make it even with social media like i think sometimes social media is a gift and a curse you know obviously you have to go out there self promote and push 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 but there's so much information like constantly getting right. stuff thrown at you and the only thing things that stick out are special things like special yeah someone people that have something to say be it positive or negative but right. as long as it stands out that's what that's what's making it now right when did you meet um how did the Stevie Wonder thing come about Wonderful. Okay, okay so that's a, that's obviously a very special event now. Yes, right? yeah. But there's a story to it. For yeah, sure. abso absolutely. There's a story. So, um, initially, the the, begin the very beginning of it was a small party celebrating songs in the key of life at Baby Jupiter in 1999. Where was that club at? Uh, that was in LES on okay. like Orchard Street mm -hmm. in, uh, in 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 Lower Manhattan, um, and it was me, Barbito. Um, e Love and I think Kumarv mm -hmm. played, um, and it was great. It was small, but it was a beautiful vibe. And my wife Kita, she and I at the time weren't married yet, but mm -hmm. we we were working together. We would we were uh, she was promoting and throwing parties, and we decided uh, let's brand this and turn it into a full-on Stevie Wonder celebration and Bob was on board as the co-pilot with myself and we did it at Filter 14 and I, mm -hmm. I just remember and this was two years later this was 2001 there was a line down the block right. and the room was packed and it was like a spiritual journey mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, and from there and from there we just you know, kept it going. And right. It just keep, it just keeps growing and growing. And Was there a club called Shelter? Yes. Yeah, so, I went to the one at Shelter. Yeah. So Club Shelter um, is at this point they're more of like an institution. Yeah. Uh, primarily known for house. Right. right. But they had venues at the time, and we kind of because of my relationship with Timmy Regisford and. Um, you know, back then, other people that were involved with the club, we were able to do it there several times. Mm -hmm. um, and one of those times, Stevie Wonder called in. Oh, yes. Amazing. Yeah, Stevie Wonder called in. That was the first kind of <clears throat> moment where he actually was a, like a part of it. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, his, his daughter, Aisha, came through and called him on the phone. 
and he was um, actually in the hospital with his wife, his ex-wife, and was about to give birth. Oh my God, really? Wow. So he was, I spoke to him and he was like, okay, this is great. I'm going to call you back. So he called back after his child was born. Oh my God. Wow, man. And I put the microphone. I didn't even announce what was happening. Uh-huh. We were, me and me and Bob were rocking the party. The crowd was on tilt. And I put the mic to the phone, the cell phone. And he said hello over the PA. And you heard commotion. People were going crazy. Cause mm-hmm. I guess they figured out what was happening. Uh-huh. And then it was dead silence. You could hear a pin drop in a, in a room full of a thousand people. Plus. Wow. And he spoke to the audience Dope. and talked about his child, you know, childbirth and how he had just spoken to Nelson Mandela. Wow. And his, his, uh, his son was named Mandela as a result of that conversation, which is wow. Mandela's name. Yeah. You know, like it was, it was, I think that moment shook me to my core more than the times where he actually showed up. Yeah. You know, well, you were a part of his kid being born. You know, you were, it's like you were there with him. Obviously, yeah, it yeah. was amazing. I still can't believe it happened. Sometimes, yeah, that's a trip. <laughs> and that's I, dope. And then meeting his son later. Wow. And you know, right at one time we uh, we hung out, me and Stevie, and um, he, him, him and his driver picked me up in an SUV, and I get in the car, and uh, two of his sons were there, and Manly was one of them, and I was Whoa. like, wow, so this is the this is the one that was born you know that connection is like wow it's crazy just to think about it yeah that's yeah that's incredible man because now he's he's come to the party a handful oh, quite, of times, yeah right? quite a few times yeah i mean once in uh what two times in in la twice in new york and one time in uh in dc i'm sure a lot of people oh. have seen the, the youtube clip where uh, I'm cutting up funky drummer James Brown and he's singing behind me. Yeah. That dope. was that was at one of the DC shows. And you guys have hung out? Have you hung out outside of the party? Yeah, a few times, yeah. yeah. I mean, actually, man, I, I've done quite a few things with him that people are, are not aware of. Like in, in Highline, at the Highline Ballroom, I believe that was like 2005, he, he actually had me um, like rock with him on stage. Like I was his beat. Wow. I had my MPC 3000 on stage. Wow, okay. Providing beats, and he was on keyboard. It was, <laughs> it was a Harper's Bazaar event. Uh-huh. Um, this one tiny picture that survived from that from that show, I, the pictures weren't allowed to be taken. My, sure. my wife actually got yelled at by Stevie's brother. No pictures! Whoa. <laughs> but wow. she snuck one out, and I actually I had posted it on my, on my MySpace page oh, shit. back then. So um, you were playing beats live on an MPC? And yeah, was... but it was programmed. It was programmed. Okay, pre-programmed. Right, right, but, you right. know, I, I had the beats rocking, yeah. and he's... He's just jamming over? He's, he, well, he's performing. He's yeah. doing songs. Like, he told me what songs he was going to do. Oh, wow, man. And I had to program beats in advance and have it ready. For, and I had a turntable, too, and a, and a mixer. So I think we did... Uh, and Dougie Fresh came out. Dope. And did a beatbox over one, and I was cutting up, like... Uh, the fresh at the end of change the beat. Oh my god! You know, really? Wow! That was, it was an, it was Yo, definitely an experience. Like that was crazy. Yeah. And one time, at one point during the performance, I actually came almost came to tears and broke down on the stage because I had to lay out. He invited Aisha out on stage to perform with him. They did a, a like a Nancy Wilson ballad or something, uh-huh. and I had an out of body experience where 
I'm standing on stage watching it, and I jumped out of myself and looked at the whole thing, oh, and man. was like, "What the f- what the hell is going on here?" <laughs> like, I'm on stage with Stevie, and they're doing a battle. He's doing a battle with his daughter, and I'm on st- like, "What is going on here? This is not." Yeah, that's, happening. Yeah, <laughs> and I almost started crying. I had to, I had to pull myself together. That was nuts. That yeah, was incredible, man. Incredible. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah, and the fact that it was like kind of like a private thing, so no one, there's no documentation of it too. No, I mean I know there were cameras floating sure. around, but they, you know, that was probably like hired, like his camp, right? You know, right. So there are pictures, but you know, but that memory is priceless. Yeah, though, and Bobito was there too. So Bobito was present. So um, yeah, that's incredible. Um, yeah, now how do I follow up that? that, that that's a tough one uh, to take. But, you know, I want to talk about just more of you, of your club presence. Um, yes. And, well, there's a couple random things I wanted to ask you. Across, you know, I used to work at the Knitting Factory on Leonard Street in downtown Manhattan. Across the street was a room that you, saw, you held down for a hot while. What was that place called? Peppers. Yes. So... Oh, Leonard Street. Yeah, but that was a place you had like a residency there for a while, right? Well, I won't call it a residency, but that's that was the venue that hosted a lot of our theme parties. So, this, uh, that was the second venue that uh, where we did wonderful. Oh no way! Really? And the Soul Slam parties, the Michael Jackson, right? Prince. It's like a short-lived, uh, you know, a yeah. New York club, like the, many of them are. Short-lived, and then um, we outgrew those those spots. We right. To, that's and that's from that point on, we went to Club Shelter and Club Shelter, aka Speed. It was known as yeah, Speed. Speed, right? You know, that's where Hot ninety seven used to do their parties. And, right. Um, I still have a ticket. I saved my ticket stub from Wonderful at Shelter. I still have it somewhere in like my all my shit. You know, I got a lot of stuff. Right. <laughs> but I mean, you know, I like collecting that stuff, you know. Right, nostalgic. Yeah, big time. Um, I know. I remember there was another room. I was so I was with Geology last night. You did his thirtieth birthday party. Do you remember this at a place called Gorenka? Was it his or mine? He said it was his. Do you guys? You don't share a birthday, right? Are you? You're not December, right? Oh, you know what? Yeah. So I had there was a surprise party for me there right. as well, but I did do one for him. What was the club? It was Gernica. Yeah. Yeah. I never went there. That was like that's also just from a short period of time. Right? Yeah, I think. And I, from if I remember correctly, that spot used to be called the World. Yeah. Oh wow! Really? Days. Yes. Yeah, Historic days, spot. Yeah. yeah. Were you going to clubs like that when you were younger? Like, did you go like Danceteria and like? Nah, uh, I was like, too young for Danceteria, but I made it into the garage. I made it into Paris you saw Garage. Larry? Yeah, yeah, I saw Larry perform. And, oh. Um, and I went. I was sixteen years old. Whoa! And it was the year that the club closed. Wow. And I remember, like, being so sad that I couldn't go back on the final night. Like, I really wanted to go that night. But that changed my life. I, I mean, bet. 16 years old in what is known as like the club of clubs. Yeah. Hearing the music that basically um, inspired me to become a DJ in the first place. Yeah. You know, like all the records that I was listening to on WBLS with Frankie Crocker in the 70s and 80s, a lot of that music is a direct line to mm-hmm. the Paradise Garage because Frankie used to go there. Right, right. Oh, and he could put up on yes, stuff from Larry, right? And play the records on the air. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, God, what a legacy he left. I mean, um, to have seen him, not a lot of people can say that, that are contempt- that are really like young contemporary guys like you. Correct. You know? And you know what's funny is 
Krim and I went. Krim was actually oh. going there. He had gone to the garage a few times. Uh-huh. I only went once. He's a club head too. Yeah, you know, I know. And he used to dance. He used to get busy. No way, really. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it was our crew. Like it was like four of us that, uh-huh. that went. The night that I went, it was like four of us that oh. got in. It's so funny you said that Krim was a club head because I went to the Nell's um, reunion yeah, party. I was there. I was there. Were you? Like, yeah, oh, okay. I, I saw him you. there. Yeah, yeah, I saw him there. I was like, wow. Like, I, he, I wouldn't expect to see him there, but I didn't. You know, I didn't grow up in New York, so I didn't know that. Um, well, truth be be told, I'm not trying to blow too many hip hop heads up, but right. there's a lot of hip hop heads that are club heads, right? <laughs> because that was just in New York City, yeah, right? in New York right. City and Jersey, like right. that was just right. the, at 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 one point at at one time that was the thing to do if you were sure. hanging out, right? Like you would go into clubs and partying and having fun, and if especially if you were a dancer, that was the mode of the right. time of the of that era. How would you like compare that New York house really to you know the historic kind of pillars of like Detroit and Chicago? I mean, they're they're so. I know it's such a broad question, but how do you delineate between or distinguish rather like between? It's a, it's, it's a tad bit different because I think New York New York is much more of a melting pot, right? And you had mixed crowds mm-hmm. where. It, at least I can speak for Chicago because I know a lot of Chicagoans and um, I go there, I play there a lot. Right. And I, I've always been told that it's a lot more segregated there. If you were hip hop, you weren't house, and if you were house, you weren't hip hop. Right, they, right. they just didn't really, they didn't really mix that right. much. But in New York, for sure, I mean, I know personally a lot of d- producers and DJs who are house heads, right? And they, they just love the music and play the music. You know, Clark Kent, shout out to my bro- my big bro, Clark Kent. Like, you know, he produced a few house records, but back really? in, yeah, absolutely. Like, remixes. Right. The, his most famous one is probably the Chupster. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, the his, house mix. House for mix for that. Nice. But I used to go, before I knew him, I used to go to the clubs and hear him rock, and he was playing all of that. Oh, that's amazing. You know, and, and Molly Maul. Like, there's, right. there's a few DJs from that era yeah, Marley has a has a history in that that people don't really focus on. Right, you know? exactly. Right, and, and has history even on the production side as well, and yeah. the and remix side. Yeah, remix the side. early early stuff. Right? Yeah. Um, what was the label? Sleeping Bag, Fresh Records, right. uh, uh, Tough City. Tough City, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, do you remember these joints that we did? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. People talk about these all the time, especially that one. The Brazilian, Brazilian funk mode. So I brought these two. Now this is part of a Japanese mix series that you did, like in the early two thousands. Yeah, I think. Yeah, because yes. I was living in California at the time. These were designed by a guy I went to college with named Forrest Stearns, who li- who hand drew these pictures he did of you. Great work. You need he, to get at them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, there was Brazilian funk mode and um, hip house revisited, which I love just because it's. Um, such a micro genre that like I think is really like a New York thing like uh, would you say it's more born in New York or what hip hop I'd say it's between New York actually New York Jersey and Chicago because a lot of the a lot of the music was coming out of these three places right 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 and Chicago especially has like a big history which is interesting because that goes back to what I was saying about crowds not really mixing I'm curious to know even for myself like 
how did those records come to be if the crowds didn't re- I think I think house was just bigger than hip hop in Chicago for the most part. Right, right. I think that's really what it what it is as a movement. Right, yeah. I mean it was created there. Yeah, would you it started say? there. Yeah, yeah, yeah it yeah. started there. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, Chicago and New York are so different in many ways like with the scenes and how both genres have evolved over the years too. But to be able, not a lot of people can pull off a hip house mix. I mean, you did it uh, masterfully here. Thank on you. Well, I mean, this. you know, I followed, I followed it heavily. Did and, you? Yeah, yeah, I followed it and paid attention. I mean, and you know, not for nothing, I know that there's a lot of uh, artists that didn't really like their music being remixed into house. <laughs> right, you right. Know? And some of it was kind of cheesy, but some of it is actually good. Yeah, definitely. Know? And and tasteful and soulful. So exactly. if you pulled it off right, you 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 would have what is now considered a classic. Right. You know, so I tried to basically compile stuff that I mean, there's a lot of joints on both of these, especially the hip house one. There's like forty joints and it's all vinyl too. I mean this is like pre Serato. Yeah, this is pre Serato. Yeah. yeah. Doug Lazy, I mean, yeah, oh, yeah these, these were records that were kind of accepted on both sides of the fence. You know, Queen Latifah coming to my house was a big record. Yeah, it was huge. You know, that really started the genre, probably in a yeah, way. Yeah, KY Stop. That was a novelty kind of record, but it was played heavily at Zanzibar by by uh, Tony yeah. Humphreys. It was, yeah. a, you know, it's a classic record. Yeah, I'm looking at the list right now. Yeah, there's a lot of. Wow, Joanna's on here, freak it, crazy. Yeah, Pal Joey. Now, Pal Joey is another p- producer yeah. who kind of mirrored. You Have know, you ever worked with him or interacted with him? I've we've spoken and we've connected, you know, years ago, but never really worked together. Right. But I've always paid attention to him. In know? a way, you guys have some kind of similarities. Absolutely, his work with obviously KRS One yes. stuff on Boogie Down Productions was incredible, but his. Up tempo dance joints. I don't know if you even call them house records or not. I mean, perhaps. Uh, yeah, they are. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Soho Hot Music is probably his most yeah. popular record. Oh yeah, it's a gigantic. And record. that's one of those those jams that you know bridged the gap between hip hop and, and house. Right, right. But initially, when it came out, it's really classified as a house record. Right. Yeah. I always feel like I don't know. It's just a New York record to me because because when you go to parties. The crowd is so mixed. It's like oh yeah, you know, it's not even. I you can't. I don't call it house now. It's, right. It could be played in a house set, right. but truthfully, it's a party jam. It's right. just another dope party record. You know, yeah, that, absolutely. That everybody knows and can party to. It's not right. just for house heads. Not just for hip hop heads. It's like in the, right in the middle. Right. So with those mixes, those are you know were Japanese uh, releases. For a second, um, I just want to talk about your time going to Japan because you've been touring in Japan for. For twenty years, yes, right? steadily, steadily every year since two thousand. Yeah, and you do the do you, you do? It's like the New Year's tour every every time, or has it changed over the years? Or? Yeah, it's changed. It's changed recently because we realized that New Year's, you know, around the holiday time is a little a little hard nowadays. Anyway. We'll share with family, with family, right. and people spending money. You right. know, people are kind of dry and don't want to spend money going out. So that that really flipped into early early like top of the year like right, you know right. February March, mm-hmm. but still like you know I go there every year and you know I I would say that Japan is one of those places that they were intuitive, like they knew before I did how how things were gonna go. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can see that. Like they knew somehow they knew that I was gonna somewhat like blow up or whatever. What do you play when you're out there? Do you mix it up per show or? Yeah, I mean, 
I still can get away with doing a, a, a hip hop set, a classic kind of boom bap style hip hop set, but also a straight up house set. And in the middle, like I was just there, um, in like last month, October. Oh yeah, for that festival for the Soul Camp Festival. That looked pretty interesting. That was crazy. Daylight Brand Nubian. Daylight Brand Nubian. Showbiz and AG. Showbiz and AG. Cool G Rap and Big Daddy Kane together. Oh wow! On the stage, that was nuts. You only see that in Japan. I know. Erica Badu, Faith Evans. Wow. Knowledge. Right. Yeah, it's like, you know. So that was totally different than than usually how you're out there, right? It's usually your headlining clubs. Yeah, this that was maybe like the third or fourth festival I've ever done, but nothing I've never done a festival on that level right. in Japan before. Um, it's usually club dates. Right. Um, how has it changed over the years? Have you noticed anything change? It's changed the same way it's changed, like in the states and in major cities where um, older people older folks from my generation may not be as swift to come out and right. pay the money and it's a younger generation now um, on both the hip hop and the and the house side you right. know it has to be kind of special events or planned strategically time wise right. like right. you know you gotta you know it's, it's rough it's rough in a lot of places right. <laughs> yeah yeah, I mean, but the fact that you can keep keep it moving though is a testament. You know, it is the industry is getting harder and harder. I mean, the economy and the world as a whole is like yes. in such a compromised kind of place nowadays. It's terrifying and sad, but that you can kind of still get out there that says a lot too. You know, like, yeah, I'm constantly my brain is constantly working. I'm always yeah. trying to figure out ways to tread water and stay afloat and and uh also um progress yeah i love it i mean you've always you're a progressive uh producer too yeah and and kind of going back to infectious which is like the sort of opus of of a certain era of yours of multi you've had multiple chapters of this kind of story ongoing story that is you're just putting that out re-releasing this right yeah well cool. for digital download because right. right. uh, you couldn't get it it was never available before, right? Never available as a download, no. So. Not on iTunes. Right. You know, only streamed. Um, I don't even think it's streamed. Like only No, it's only on you, you can find some people that uploaded yeah, individual YouTube. songs yeah. on YouTube. Yeah, it's not stream streamable right. right now. We have older we did two records for uh BBE. That's well right. one of them's a yeah. compilation of uh, like grassroots, yeah, grassroots. all those old yeah. material and then we put out um Ooh. Oh, Resurgence was the yeah, latest LP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, Resurgence. Right. You got a lot of records. You don't have to remember all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> brain is full. Right. Uh, yeah, um, two years ago. So we're, st- we're actually um, trying to finish up the new album. Oh, dope. Yeah. Oh, it was supposed up. to be out this year, but life got in the way. Yeah. So Next year. we're working on it for the top of the top of the year and just trying to make it classic. So, well, I have like, uh, before we wrap up too, I mean, I have such a great memory of making the music video of Don't Get It Twisted, which I think is a classic piece because, um, and there's a big story behind it too, <clears throat> in that we shot it on film, which is rare. Um, Lance B, now I'm not trying to put anybody on blast, but, you know, this was an era when people didn't necessarily get paid by distributors very properly, and I think because they owed a lot of money, we were able to uh, make this music video in a way, like, right. with a it series was, of credit it was cards. A miracle. <laughs> yeah, oh my God. 
but we pulled it off and shot it in the Bronx. It was it was you know shot partially in the Bronx, partially around these parts in Brooklyn, yep. downtown Brooklyn. My old hood too, Crown Heights. Yes. Yep. Um, I, actually, it's funny. I remember we even saw Clark Kent drive by in a car. I don't know if you remember this or not. We were going up. Uh, uh, Franklin Ave, no, uh, Flatbush Ave, I think. And I vaguely do. Because we're shooting he, on the street. Yeah, you know? and I think he shouted, he said something to me in regards to my record boxes. Like, oh, we really? have, like we have the same dude that designs our record boxes. Oh, no way. Yeah. I remember, I, I mean, we're just walking down the street and, and I was like, wow, because it's a little starstruck too, because he was just, this is 2000, summer 2001. It was August of 2001. So we shot part of it on a roof in Chinatown. Uh, Lord Jamar was there when he still had dreads, you know, it was like kind of going back. And the promenade, the Brooklyn promenade. Yeah, so the, promenade the World Trade Center was looming in the background too, you know, it was wow. one month before 9-11. Crazy. It's really crazy to think how, you know, what was going on in everyone's lives then and like how things just kind of changed pretty drastically. Yeah. Because the cover of the 12 inch, too, not to get too nerdy the and day, meta, yeah, the, the World Trade Center is in the back, yes, yeah. yeah. And, I'm, and I actually, I'm actually doing like a salute sign, right, with my hand, and it's, it's almost like I'm paying homage, you know, be- yeah, before it happened without knowing what I, know. I was doing. I know it's crazy. Um, wow. that was also the first time that video was the first time I ever met Sadat. So, and people know that I did a couple records with him. Uh, did two albums with him, Experience and Education and Black October, both of which you recorded the intro songs on both of those yeah, albums. Black, uh, God is Back and what was And the, the title track, Black October. Yes, Black October. Oh, wow. Yeah, damn. Forgot and, about uh, that. <laughs> and both, both were done at, you know, at the lab, at the Thingamajig lab. Yep. And it's funny, I was thinking, you know, on my way here, because uh, you guys have made some great songs together, um, including Plan X. You remember that joke? Yep. I was at all three of those sessions for God is Back, Black October, and Plan X, um, which is, uh, you know, so incredible now looking back. You know, they're all totally different years, different equipment is used on all of them. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just incredible work. You, Sadat, Sadat and Spina, um, great songs. Uh, I love Seven XL too. I wasn't there for that. That's right. an amazing song. But we call it at D and D. Dope. Yeah, my only up. session at D and D actually. Amazing. Yeah, Sir Manalit. Yeah, Puba and Sadat. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. That's just a memory that I share with you too. Is just the to be in the studio. This is kind of a rarity. I don't get to do that stuff as much as I did back in the day. But to see him, you literally make the beat on the spot while we're sitting there. And he's like drinking a tall can of Budweiser or something like that, you know, and like uh, and write <laughs> and writing his lyrics on the spot. Does it like usually he's like a one take kind of guy, yeah, maybe he's two. Definitely a one take. He goes boom, with, boom, he goes boom. with his he goes with the heart, man. Yeah, he just goes. And if you listen to the lyrics on all three of those songs, are they're pretty amazing? Like where because Black October, he was about to becoming he was about to go in. He was incarcerated on Rikers Island yeah. for over a year. And that was our album. We did an album to get him some, you know, so we can make some revenue uh, right. before he had to go away. And then God is Back was the return. That was the real return, which is a beautiful song. Great um, Axelrod sample, I think. Or where the nah, chanting was it? It wasn't. It's not Axelrod, and I don't want to say. No, nah, you, you don't. You don't. You <laughs> don't. The samples on on both of those are pretty amazing. Like you know, um, and I remember Black October. 
the equipment you used, you had to use a sampler you hadn't used in a long time because something else was like on the fritz or something. Do you remember this? It was like ARS-10 or... No, it wasn't an ASR-10, man. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm almost positive it was it was programmed on MPC-3000, but I could be wrong. I mean, I... I you know, if if I went back to anything, it would have been the SB twelve hundred and the Akai nine fifty. Yeah, it was something like that. I know that there was some reason why you're like, well, I'm just gonna make it on this thing because the other one, because I think it's because the MPC was either getting repaired or something like that. Well, I might have built it straight up in Pro Tools. Yeah, interesting. I might have done it not even in a machine per se, but I wonder. I recorded it. I have a mini disc of you actually making the beat, like an audio of wow. of you, you know, kind of programming it out timing it out kind of chopping up the sample all the way through him just in the vocal booth i just kind of turned this mini disc player on and have the whole session just atmospherically um but anyway man i could be like i could ask you a million questions about these little things but um it's just a testament to the fact that uh first and foremost i'm i'm just a huge fan of your work you know and i've always felt um very honored that we could do some records together and that you kind of like sort of taught me led me into the biz in many ways you're like gave me a lot of first chances you know first time i really direct helped and directed like a real music video you know it's the second record i ever put out you know the first one being this mf doom record i did but compositions too it's funny really not to get too tangential although that's my thing really quickly before we wrap up we're about to wrap up uh, this Special Herbs one, which I put out, it says there's a track called Coriander, which says from the covers of DJ Spin. Do you ever remember what? Are that, you kidding me? Do you ever? Rem- this came out in the year 2000, by the way. Do you I remember? I always what heard that- about this, but I never saw it. Yo, I need this. <laughs> well, it's my one and only copy, and it's sealed too. Yeah, so got, this probably goes for money, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, um, so what's that about? I don't. I don't know. I, I totally forgot. I think I remember way back in the day. But I wanted to ask you if you knew what that was, because it's, you know, there's a couple other people here. DJ Pocket, John Doe, Great Atlanta Dudes, Sub Rock, May He Rust in Peace, and then Spinna from the cupboards of DJ Spinna. He must have either been inspired or because they're like records that, you know, he produced. But yeah, he's an, I think he's an ill producer. He's such an amazing producer. Yeah, yeah his, his, his uh, choice of samples like I don't know how he hears what he hears, man. Right. But uh, and I, I he's on my bucket list of MCs. So Doom, if you hear this, let's go. Hell yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm curious to know what that's about. Yeah, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna figure that out. I was hoping that you, I forgot. I don't even remember if I ever was told. But uh, yeah. Anyway, man. So uh, just much continued success. I mean, uh, I love seeing that your things are active you're putting rec- you just put a record out not too long ago this house joint with the black covers swedish record you know what i'm talking about nope yes <laughs> even better um and just that you're out in in djing uh i think it's a beautiful thing so thank you so much for your time man thank you brother yeah thank cool. you very much peace yes i want to thank dj spinner thank y'all for tuning in and continuing to tune in and support this by helping me get the word out Episode 60 of The Houseless is now done. Each and every episode is edited by CJ Stewart. My name is Peter Gasson. I'm the host and producer of the show. Thanks again. Listen, if you're in the Brooklyn, New York area or New York City in general, on Sunday, November 19th at 4 p.m. till 7, 
uh, I'll be at the Trophy Bar. I'm doing a record store pop-up uh, with a couple great friends of mine, Sean Rollins, who I actually met through Spinna, and DJ Monk One. So selling new, used, uh, rare records, dead stock records, CDs and tapes. Uh, it's something I do uh, every year or every uh, couple times a year. So come through and uh, grab some merch, some vinyl from us, enjoy, and uh, there'll be some DJs there uh, from the house list. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, thank you guys so much. I'm going to drop a joint from that Jigmaster's debut. Now, for Spin, I could have chose hundreds of different songs, and you know, um, but because uh, we were kind of talking about it and it's a brand new re-release i wanted to to uh, play a little bit of one of my favorite songs off the record nocturnal jam uh, so shouts to crim and the whole uh beyond real uh catalog of artists i uh, met a lot of those guys over the years too so anyway enjoy thanks again peace y'all I'll catch you guys on the do next you episode hear it? yeah i said do you want to hear it yeah jump out yeah jump out uh. For all my, for all my, to my, to my, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tune in late night on the streets. Rough raps in a minute, spitting trifle on these beats. Slow down, choose life over heat. Stay rugged like a wide body jeep. From my verse, watch a prophecy seat. In your brain, maintain how we properly creep. Stick to your own and find yourself a possible lease. It's an apostle I speak. Small part of rap's elite. On top of the heat, don't think of holding gas to me. Just follow my lead. After hours, nightlife, spending dollars on weed. You can catch me any place from Apollo to speed. Basking in the moonlight, city of power and greed. Might not let us see tomorrow, cop this bottle on me. I'm politicking with this chick for her, the mother my seed On a bed with the canopy piece I plan to at least before the night is deceased Hit up a couple of spots, avoid enough for them cops It's hard to believe, I feel alive at sunset Like vampires and thieves In any place where we at, the roof's on fire with ease Hot saliva release, we on the pulse of the city While you dead in your sleep Feel like getting Somniac early AM find me planted in spots Fresh Tim's cream and spinach or the cabbage and rocks Down to earth nigga not really lavish with rocks I see niggas so seeds and can't manage the crops Baby mother on the corner selling ass Steady ducking from cops The shit is rough on the pop Light hustle two bricks car trunk in the lot While the rich party is served New York and the yacht The have and have nots Yo you know the planet don't stop For the less fortunate they keep their hand on their glock And hammers on cock While I drop the grammar that's hot Verbally damage or not Place you in your family plot It's nothing you can spend that could ever possibly top See, when the record drop, I'll be the man on your block In a speakeasy joint, lady friend with my hand up a frock Heat of the night, stuck your jewels, a chain of good pop We on the pulse of the city, you laid up in your cot We on the pulse of the city, you laid up in your cot We on the pulse of the city Ha, 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 ha 